good? Praise God. Thank you, praise team, for leading us in worship. Amen. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. My little wife is in Colorado, spoiling our two grandchildren up there as much as she can. We normally are not apart on her birthday, which was Friday, but I did wish her her 59th birthday on Facebook. So she really owes me for that. She accepted her 59th birthday celebration all over again. But um, I, I spent the week in South Carolina helping the deer population as much as I could there and in that country, along with vehicles driving up and down the road. So, But uh, she took off to Colorado, so that's where she's at. She'll be back Wednesday. But uh, And you and I are by ourselves on the front row because Lacey's over at the house with two sick children. So I'll be in prayer for them. It's just great to have Rick Allen with us today. He's our national men's director. Some of the men that's been to our our men's getaway have heard him preach. He's also over Light for the Lost. And he's a facilitator for the Acts 2 journey, which is a new emphasis that our fellowship is just kind of getting us refocused and recalibrated to ministry that we need to be about. Amen. So it's an honor to have Rick with us right here in Tuscaloosa. So let's give him a good Tuscaloosa welcome as he comes. Oh, thank you for being here today. Aren't you glad to be in church? You'd rather be in church than the best funeral home in town, right? Yes, yes, yes. If you're a guest here today, thank you so much for coming. We know you had a choice of where you could have gone this morning. You chose to be with us, and we're so thankful. So please give us, our family, an opportunity to say hi to you today. Uh, Pastor, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak and share the day with you. Uh, if you've been at a men's retreat and heard me preach at the men's retreat, raise your hands. Okay, that means I can't preach that message. If you've been at a Light for Lost service that I've preached at, raise your hands. Okay, this Thursday we'll be, we'll be at Fayette preaching a Light for Lost service. And this year we're seeing some supernatural things happening in the realm of missions. Uh, this morning, I am here to share with you a little bit of hope and a little bit of glory. Throughout our fellowship every week, I have the joy of preaching somewhere in the nation. I've preached in churches as small as 30, as large as seven, 8,000. And there's something happening in America. Number one, our millennials are getting hungry for the truth of God's word. They don't want the opinion of it. They don't want the characterizations of it. They don't want a commentary of it. They want the deep truth. And when I go to churches, I can tell how deep the kids, the teenagers are, and the young adults and the university students by whether or not they bring a Bible. I just recently, a few months ago, preached at a church that was running about 4,000, and when it came this time to preach, all the millennials ran into the floor, they got their Bibles out, got notebooks out, and I was like, what in the world happened? And they were like, feed us. Well, that was deafening. See, in our, as we go through our patterns of church, if we're not careful, we will lose the responsibilities of what we're supposed to do for the church. As a national men's director, I believe 
that the most anemic area of our fellowship is in men's ministries. And over the last three years, we have been working steadfastly and just at a breakneck pace to build discipleship resources for men to the place that the U.S. Army, I was in the Pentagon a few months ago, and the Army is wanting to use all of our discipleship materials for chaplains on all the Army bases around the world. And so we, we have an opportunity to do some great things. So if you are looking for strong, free discipleship resources, you can just get them at men.ag.org. There's about 206 study lessons uh, that are in Spanish and English, and it will help you grow in Christ. We have Wednesday night meetings, uh, church meetings. We have women's groups using the men's resources. Uh, it's not built specifically for men. Some of the lessons are, some are not. So if you'd like to look at that, go ahead and check that out. What would you do if God didn't speak to you anymore? If his voice went silent? If every indication, every system, every pattern shuts down? That's what happens between the Old and the New Testament. 400 years of silence, no minor prophets, no major prophets, no, no Moseses, no Davids, no Abrahams, nothing, just silence. What would you do? How would you be able to sustain yourself in the midst of the silence? Number two, would you be hungry enough for God to speak to you the way he wants to speak to you and not the way you want him to speak to you? See, I wasn't raised in church. I was, I was a drug addict until I was 20 years old. And the first time I came to a Pentecostal church, you all sang a lot. You sing a lot. And some of our older people go, you know, these young people, they sing these choruses all the time. Well, don't say that to me because the first time I came to a church, you all sang, he set me free for 45 minutes. <laughs> and yet, so many times we come to church and we are reacting to the move of God and not making it proactive for God to move. That's what happens. Jesus is born. Israel's looking for a king. He's born as a baby. They don't want a baby. They need a king. He will ride a donkey before he rides a horse. The image of peace before war. He's going to go through the temple attributes. He's, going to be, he's from the wrong tribe. He's from Judah. He's not from Levi. He's going to have to do certain things to position himself to be prophet, priest, and king for all mankind, including the Jewish nation. And then he decides, the point in time comes, where he's going to perform the first miracle. And if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to open them up or turn them on to John chapter 2. And we are going to look at something today that many times is overlooked. And so in John chapter 2, there is this amazing story of Jesus going to Cana, which is about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. He's in the wrong city. He should perform his first miracle in Jerusalem. But he's in Cana, a province. 
He's in a he's in a city smaller than Tuscaloosa. He is in a small area. And he goes to this reason, he goes to Cana for a wedding. But he's not supposed to be there. See, in Jewish customs, Jewish women were married three days of the week. If you were a virgin, you were married on a Wednesday. If you were a widow, you were married on a Thursday. And if you had special permission from the mayor and the priest, you could be married on a Sabbath, a Saturday. This is a Sabbath wedding. And so when we read this, and let's, let's kind of just check this out for real quick. Like it says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus, his mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus, his mother said to him, there's no more wine. Now understand that when you have a Sabbath wedding, there's a couple dynamics that are different than the normal wedding. Number one, the bride and the groom have to present themselves to the mayor and to the priest, and then they have to pick the Saturday that's available. They are going to be in the city pavilion. They are not going to be at the temple. They're going to be in this open city pavilion. The Sabbath wedding will start at 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon after this afternoon prayer. It's one of the full, few exceptions for the Sabbath. So after the afternoon prayer, everybody goes to the wedding. And during the wedding, they go through this ceremony that's approximately almost two hours in length. And then when the sunset comes, the end of the Sabbath, the reception starts. And when the reception starts, now get ready, buckle up. The reception goes from Friday night, I mean from Saturday night to the next Friday night, the beginning of the next Sabbath. It goes for the period of one week. And... There's no wedding invitation sent out because everyone who lives in the city gets to come for one week and eat your food and drink your drink. So if you got, what, 50,000 people here in the town? 100,000 people? Sabbath wedding, 100,000 people get to eat your food for one week. Right about now, you want to look at your daughter and go, honey, Wednesday sounds real good to me. And if there's only two special exceptions for people coming that are not from the city. Number one, you're a family member. Or number two, you're part of the serving committee who will serve the city for one week. From the indications of scriptures and from the theologians, Mary is there serving. The first miracle of the New Testament church or the foundation of it starts by someone serving before God performs. And so Mary is there, and because Mary has been invited, she gets to bring Jesus, and Jesus gets to bring the posse. So Jesus is there on a special exemption. And when he's there, somewhere during this week, over the first day or the second day, somewhere in this, Mary realizes they do, the families do not have enough wine for the party for the week. The consumption rate is more than the inventory rate. And so she goes up to her son and she says, son, 
They don't have any more wine. Now, when we read this, we blow by this. Mary is deeply concerned because she knows there's three levels of Jewish excommunication. And if this, if this families cannot produce the wine and food for the week, they will be put in the first level of Jewish excommunication, which is called a nidum. It's a 30-day pronouncement where they shave your head. The men, everyone, family, men and women have to, anyone over the age of 12, they wear sackcloth. They stand outside the temple, outside the synagogue, and they have to ask for forgiveness for 30 days. And at the end of 30 days, if the priest will accept their forgiveness, they can come back into the synagogue. But if they can't, they have to stand outside for another 30 to 60 days, which is called a shirum, and they have to have their head shaved, but they can't speak. That's how you knew when someone was being, when they were under punishment, you knew. If they could talk, it was level one. If they can't talk, it's level two. And then at the end of level two, if you go before the priest and the priest marks you and believes that your penance isn't true, then you're given a shamantha and you're excommunicated from the city and you can't see your family anymore. Mary knows all this. And she goes to Jesus and goes, we got a problem. These are our friends. I'm here helping them. And they could go into a system of excommunication that can mark them for the rest of their lives. They don't have any more wine. And Jesus looks at her and says this. Woman, mom, why do you want to involve me? My hour's not yet come. Now that is amazing. Mary's the one who has raised Jesus. Joseph and Mary's taught him all the principles of manhood. Taught him how a man should reply to the laws that his father, his heavenly father, has given to the Jewish nation. And he says to her, my hour hasn't come. Now that in itself is pretty interesting. Because Jesus is going to say, I can't do anything that my father doesn't tell me to do. And then it happens. Somewhere over a period of that time, from the question to Jesus to the miracle something radical happens. It is this. Mary goes to the Father. And she will have a prayer time with him. And she will ask the hand of the Father to move through her son to help a family that's not even her neighbor. We will see the evidence of this action by Jesus' half-brother, James, in his epistle where he will write, the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. Parentheses, I saw it in my mom. And somewhere over the next few hours, by the cries of the righteous, the father says, make it so. 
And he speaks to his son, Jesus, go ahead and perform the miracle. Now, in this big pavilion area, if you're taking down notes, you'll want to start writing here in just a minute. In this huge pavilion area, it's an open pavilion area, and there's water jars all around the pavilion area. It was a place for common drink. It is a place where people throughout the city would go, and they would go get a drink. And they would have these water jars. They stood about hip high. They look kind of like a trash can, but they got a, a lip that rolls out to the top, and they would fill the water to the bottom of the lip. And they would have these water jars all over. They were hewn out of stone, cut out of stone. And the reason they did that is so when they put the water in and it went through the purification cycle, the stone would keep the water cool even in the hottest days as long as water didn't get on the outside of the pot. And so Jesus looks at the servants, and when Jesus says, Mom, I can't do anything, the Scripture says that Mary doesn't have an argument. She doesn't have a debate with Jesus. She turns to the servants and she said, Listen, whatever he's told you to do, you're going to do it. That's pretty fascinating. That when Jesus says, I can't do anything, she doesn't violate what God the Father told her at the birth of the Son. She doesn't challenge that. What she does is she understands that she has a relationship with the Father, so she's going to tell the servants, whatever he's going to tell you to do, you're going to do it. Yes, ma'am, we'll do it. Because the men, the servants had heard the son say, I'm not doing it. And they were realizing she's just talking. You know, in the South, we have this saying, if mama isn't happy, it started right here. Mama's not happy right here. And Jesus has the whisper of the father. He's in the wrong city at the wrong reason. And he is going to launch the New Testament church. Just as John will be running around Judea baptizing people for repentance and everybody's going, we don't even know what that is yet, but we'll go ahead, get us wet. And Jesus says, go get me six water pots. Now, let me share with you something about the water pots. The system of purification of water pots was very specific in Jewish teachings. What you would do is on a Friday... When a pot got down to about a foot of water, they would quit using it because of all the impurities in the bottom of the jar. And on a Friday afternoon, they would take the water pots and they would wash them inside and out completely. And they would flip them upside down in the sun and they would sit there for one week. That way, the sun could bake them inside and out, dry them out, and they would be purified. The next Friday night, they will take the pots, flip them back up, and they will fill them up to the bottom of the brim with water. And they will sit there on that Sabbath. By the way, where's, that, where's the worship team? If you're on the worship team, let me see your hands. Cool. Hey, thanks for your worship this morning. I really appreciate what you were doing this morning. And so... They would fill the water pots up to the bottom. They would let it sit on the Sabbath. 
during that 24 hours or 36 hours, all the impurities in water will either sink that are heavier than water or they will float to the top if they're lighter than water. Nothing will stay buoyant in water without artificial assistance, oxygen. They're going to either float or sink. And so they wait 24 hours, and they let it all go, and then on Sunday morning, they take like a cheesecloth apparatus, and they scrape the top of the water, and they will scrape the water twice a day, in the morning and at night, for one week. Then on that Friday night after they've scraped the top of the water for one week, twice a day, they let it sit for another Sabbath. Then they scrape the water on that Sunday morning, and then they will hang a ladle on that water pot. And when they hang the ladle on the water pot, everyone in the city knows they can drink that water. When the ladle is removed, you can't use it. When the ladle's there, you can use it. So when the water gets down to about a foot, foot and a half, they would go and take the ladle away. And that way everybody knows, don't drink that water, it's impure. And so when Jesus tells them, go get me a water pot, go get me six water pots, the guys are going, wait a minute. We're really not supposed to get you these water pots because they were just washed out last night. They're empty. They're upside down in the drying cycle. They're in the midst of the drying cycle. We can't, we're not supposed to get them, but your mother said, whatever you say to do, do it. And so they go and get six water pots, and they bring them to Jesus. And Jesus says, now look, fill them up to the top. Fill them up to the brim. Put it all, put the water to the top. And they're like, man, oh, man. First of all, we got pots that are in the drying cycle. We're breaking that. Now we're supposed to fill it to the bottom and know you want it to the top. We're going to be in so much trouble. But your mother said, do what you said to do. And they fill them up to the top. Now check out what happens here. This is what really blows me away. In verse number, we'll go to verse 8, 9. They did so in the master of the banquet. Oh, let's just go back to verse 8. Then Jesus told him, now draw it out, the water, and take it to the master of the banquet. And I could see those, those servants going, no. No, 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 no. Uh, it was okay when the master wasn't in charge of this, but you just want us to turn the pots upside down, fill them to the brim, take a ladle, dip it, and take it. We didn't even skim the junk off the top. But your mama said, and they go and get the ladles, they dip into the water, and they take it to the master of the, the banquet. And when he drinks it, he goes, we got a problem here. You usually give the good stuff first, and then the cheap stuff after everybody's been here all week long. You've saved the best stuff now. And then it happens. The introduction of the New Testament church is in John 2.11. Let us look at it. This is what Jesus did in Cana of Galilee when he perf performed his first miracle. The disciples put their faith in him, and he declared his glory. Everybody say glory. No, say it again, glory. I've had the joy of pastoring four churches. Every one of our churches, when we went, they were stagnant. Every time we went... One of the churches, there was less than 20 people in it. 
the highest I ever started with was 60 people. And within a period of four years, three of the churches that started at 20, 30, and 30 will be over 300 in less than three years. The one that was 60 in less than three and a half years, we will be at 600, and we will have gone through a $2.5 million building program. The reason is the people declared the glory. Every guest that comes in this building will listen to this pulpit. They're going to watch the pews. And they're going to make their decision on whether or not to come back on what they see, not what they hear. And if we don't allow the glory of the Lord to fill this house, then when people come in, it just looks like everything else. It just looks beige. We are responsible, and I would tell our church, you're responsible for two parts of the service. I'll take care of one. You're responsible for the praise. God inhabits the praises of his people. So when people come into our church, and if you don't worship, you don't lift your hands, you don't sing, don't expect people to come back. And number two, at the altar calls, you can't leave till everybody in the altars are gone. People are having their lives changed. Things are happening. And when they, people get up from life change, everybody's gone out to eat other than the family and a few people. I said, there's no change. But when, I, when our church started buying into, you know what, that makes sense. And they would people get up, and first it started with about 30, 40 people. Then it was, two, then it was maybe 60, 80 people. At the end, there's two, 300 people sitting in a church, 45 minutes, waiting to love on people. And every week, our church grew. Because it was the actions of us, not the word I delivered. And they would go tell their friends, you won't believe it. I've been to church many times, but I've never seen what I saw. I went down to the altars to pray, and I prayed for 20 minutes. I had to unpack a lot of stuff. And when I got up, there's still 150 people there waiting to hug my neck and tell me how proud they are of me. you got to come see this. Master drinks this water. He goes, wow. There's seven miracles in this story, and I would like to give them to you right now. See, the average Pentecostal person is looking for something that's either instantaneous or is not going to happen. But when we pray in faith, as spirit-empowered people, God's either going to move instantaneously or he's going to move by progression. But he's going to move if you pray by faith and you don't doubt. He will move. So watch this. Miracle number one is that when Jesus tells the servants to get the six water pots, he knows he's turning the water into wine, but he's got a problem. The stone is going to make the wine acidic. It's going to make it bitter. So Jesus has to put a film between the stone and the water so when it turns into wine, the wine won't taste bad. That stone is made from the same stuff you and I are made of, dirt. And Jesus does the same things for us. When we confess Christ, he puts a film between our old man and the new man, the, the Holy Spirit, salvation. And that way our new man can be a new man without being tainted by the old man. The only way our old man can taint us is when we look at it. Second miracle. 
is that Jesus has to take dirty water and turn it into pure water. The purer the water, the purer the wine. So he has to make a purification system and remove all the impediments instantaneous so when he gets ready to turn it into wine, they will not be poisoned by what is inside the new wine. And he does the same thing with us. Third miracle is that he has to take the new water and turn it into pure wine. Now, when he does this, there is a transformation that's happening that only he knows until he dips the ladle. And there's transformation that's happening in you. If I was to ask you a question, when was the last time God gave you a fresh revelation of him? The average leader in America will tell us less, it's longer than a year. That in, for one year, we have been coming to church with no fresh revelation of God. Yet we want God to do something supernatural in our church, in our life. And yet we have not allowed him to speak to us personally or organizationally with a fresh revelation. When you get revelation, you get, you, get tra you get transformation. Be ye not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the issue that most churches, what we have to deal with in America, and men especially, we do not seek God for revelation. We seek God to fix our problems. And when you and I begin to start saying, God, teach me something new about you. Tell me something about you I don't know. Then you're a candidate to go to the next level. But as long as you go to God and say, here I am, change me. He goes, sorry, I did all I can do. Until you go to the next level, I can't go to the next level with you. And so for us to have this transformation, for us to have this revelation of truth, for us as a church body to see our church grow, to double or triple. The last church I pastored, we went from 30 to 104 months. They were ticked. Those 30 people were mad. They wanted revival. They didn't want it in their church because everybody that came in wasn't like them. The fourth miracle is that the six water pots will distribute the wine for the rest of the reception, for the rest of the week. They will only use the six pots. Jesus said, out of the innermost parts of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. However, I know a lot of people, and if they're in here, don't look at them right now, okay? Just fake them out. But I know some people who have no joy because they have let the burden of their religion rob them of the joy of their salvation. They believe that tenure is more important than tenacity in prayer. They believe that title gives them position. And by doing so, it robs us. We're in a university city where people, young people, are all over the world coming here. And they're looking for truth. 
Not the opinion of truth, not our relevancy of the facts of the truth. They're wanting truth. And every week they should come in and feel loved. We were in one of our church meetings and our people looked at, we were in, having a meeting, This people, some of our people said, we don't understand it. Every week we have visitors come in here, but they don't stay. They say this is the greatest place. We love this. This is different than any church, but they never come back. I said, you know why? They lie. They would rather tell you a lie and walk out than tell you that we're, un, we're unfriendly. We have to reach out in the glory of the Lord. We have to demonstrate the power of Christ. You and I have an opportunity to make a change in this post-Christian America, polytheistic society, to show them that Jesus Christ is still the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We do. And it's fun to do. Let me see. I should be what? Fifth miracle? Yeah. Here's what I forgot to tell you. When Jesus picks six water pots, he does that specifically. When he picks the six water pots, there's only six disciples with him at the miracle. Six of the disciples, six of the 12 disciples never saw Cana happen. They only heard the report from the other six. People look at me and go, say that again? He didn't have 12 disciples at Cana. He's still picking them. He's just picked Nathaniel. And every water pot represented the possibilities of what could flow out of the disciples that were with him. So he can say, guys, if I could do it through that, look, think what I can do through you. Which takes us to the sixth miracle. The sixth miracle is the scripture in John 2, 11, where it says, and the disciples put their trust in him. They put their faith in him. He produces one miracle, and they will put their faith in him. It is embryonic at best, but they're going to put their faith in him. The sixth miracle is that when we see God move, we need to celebrate God's moving. Two weeks ago, I was in a church. And they had they just seen a traumatic, uh, just a tremendous miracle, a very physical miracle. Two weeks out, the pastor stands up and says, "Let's, man, I cannot believe, man, it, it, you still look at you, look what's going on. This is amazing." Not one person clapped. Not one person celebrated the power of God moving in their church. Not one. And I saw it there, and I thought that will be short wind. Every time, when people come into our house and we start talking about the miracles of God and everybody just sits there and goes, you know, we've, we've heard healings about fingers. Do you have a resurrection story? If you have a resurrection, I'll clap on resurrection. Everything we do as a house affects the guests that are coming in. And when we put our trust in Christ, we have to celebrate the actions of Christ, regardless if it's today or yesterday. Because if we celebrate today or yesterday's actions, God's going to move tomorrow. 
Then the seventh miracle, and this is big. Jesus declares his glory. There are four levels of the anointing in Scripture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will move through you in one of four dimensions. Dimension number one is the anointing of the heart. You ever been at a grocery store, ever been at McDonald's, ever been at a coffee shop, see a stranger, you feel the presence of God, you start talking, the next thing you know, you gotta talk, you're talking about Jesus. It's the first level of the anointing. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I'm in the midst. Matthew 18. That's the first level of the anointing, the anointing of the heart. And so remember this, everyone in this room, you're, you have been, when you received Christ, you became an ambassador and a minister of his word. And every random act of kindness you do is an intentional act of ministry in God's eyes. Let me say that again. Every random act of kindness you do is an intentional act of ministry in God's eyes. And every time you do that random act of kindness, you are sharing the first level of the anointing with those you don't know. Those you may know. It's the anointing of the heart. The second level of the anointing is the anointing of the mind. The anointing of the mind comes out of this scripture where have you ever been somewhere or heard something you go, I didn't know any of that. And you take it in and you let it affect your life, then you've been in the second level of the anointing, the anointing of the mind. You've received revelation knowledge because God wants you to be transformed to the next level. So if anybody's in here today going, I didn't know any of that, and you start meditating on it, you're meditating on it because the Holy Spirit wants to take you to the next level. Some people in this room will go, didn't get it. And that's because we've just gone, we've seared our conscience. Matthew 26. Third level of the anointing is the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord, what he says in, what scripture says in John 2, 11, and he declared his glory. The glory of the Lord is this. The glory of the Lord is where the presence of Christ appears on the flesh of man and woman. In other words, how, you walk, how do you walk in the glory? Two simple things. Every university student, listen to this. 48% of the millennials, and the millennials are people who've got jobs too. they got kids. 48% of the millennials won't even have a Jesus conversation with a friend because they don't know how to answer the follow-up question. They can start the conversation, but when the question bounces back, they don't know. So they just hold back. Guys, in the glory of the Lord, God will give you the answers. And as you study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, you'll learn. The glory of the Lord is when your heart is sinless and your mind accepts the teachings of the word. So in men's retreats, I always tell men, men, when the music starts, raise your hands. Well, I'm not wired to, be, to raise my hand. That's not true. Scripture says you are. Well, that's just not me. Well, then you got to get fixed because this says you should. 
Well, I'm just, I'm just not a, I'm just not a outward spoke. Okay, I'm gonna give you a secret, ladies. I'm gonna tell a secret on men, and they're gonna not like me right now. We men would rather you think we're ignorant than incompetent. So we don't share the scripture. We don't pray for our kids. We don't pray with our wives. We don't serve communion at home. We don't do that because it's better for us to be ignorant, to look ignorant, than to go, oh, no, and it hurts our homes. And those of you who are in men's retreats, you guys will remember the last thing I do is I make everybody pull their cameras out and I have you say, show, film something to show to your wives. I believe it's time for men and women, teenagers, college students, university students, children, to let the glory of the Lord flow through the church again. I believe it's that time. My question is, there's 7 billion people on the planet I could be in one of 370,000 churches. God's picked me to be here. It's because God knows the potential in you. If your heart is sinless and your mind accepts the teaching, your body will surrender to your heart and your mind. But if, you have, if you're having problems with Scripture, then your body is resistant because of your resistance. Or if you have hidden sin in your heart, your body is resistant because you got sin in your heart. But when the glory of the Lord fills the house, God starts moving. The Holy Spirit, he, the Holy Spirit wants to inhabit this place. He wants it to inhabit it every time we come together. He wants the glory of the sun to be so radiant in this room that those people who walk in will know they're in a different place. And Jesus, at his very first miracle, the first thing he does as the fulfillment of his miracle is he says, I'm going to declare the glory. I could have done the miracle and not declared. I could have declared it at the cross. I could have declared it at Lazarus' tomb. I could have declared it at the pool of Bethesda, pool of Sloan. I could have declared it anywhere. I'm going to declare it at the beginning. And I pray that this congregation will become hungry for the glory of the Lord to fill the house. That our old men and old, and old women will prophesy. That our young men and young women will see dreams. That, that we will come together and begin to start seeing God move. That we anticipate. Many of us who came to church today, we haven't prayed for someone to get saved all week. We never ask God, is this the week the altars are full, God? Is this the week? No, we didn't even do that. We just came. And then we react. If God moves, we react and go, yay, God. And then we just go back to our life. And God's saying, if you want the glory to come in the house, get proactive with me. Start asking me to do this. Start asking me. Come together. If one, And I told my church, 30 people, they were in rebellion to God for 25 years. They had fought. These 30 people didn't want anything to happen. When I was asked to go there, I said, no, that's indigestion. That's not inspiration. But over the, over the period of about six months, I watched a group of senior citizens, every one of them over the age of 60, the glory start filling in their life. And the next thing I know, I'm watching them work in the nursery, 
loving on babies. I'm watching them here in the altars crying with drug addicts because the glory of the Lord is evident to all generations. And when the glory, now here it is. When the glory of the Lord moves every service, we walk into the glory. Every, he'll preach better under the glory. And he's a good preacher now. When we let the glory fill the house, service after service after service, then the fourth level of the, of the anointing comes. It's called the awakening. And it's where it draws all men to Christ. And I used to tell our church, we don't seek level four. We seek level three. If we just walk in the glory, God brings the awakening. All we have to do is walk into the glory of the Lord. How do I do that? Worship, pray, be engaged. So when our guests come in, they actually see it. They hear it. They sense it. As our church began to grow, I shared with them, there will be a season where we will not see people saved. It's going to happen. And when that season comes, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to go home and go, well, that was fun while it lasted. I want you to walk outside the church, and every Sunday that God doesn't move powerfully in our service, I want you to turn around and in the parking lot, I want you to look back at the church and go, devil, you're a liar. We made a deposit of hope today. We made a deposit for, tomorrow, for next week. We made a deposit. And I said, now, guys, when we hit that plateau, if two or three of us do it, it's going to take us a long time to get past that plateau. But if all of us do it, we're going to break through that in no time flat. And one Sunday, I'm walking out the church, and Brother Carr, about 86 years old, has a cane, can barely get around. I see him, I'm walking, I'm out in the lobby like your lobby, and I'm looking out, and he's parked right up. And I see him standing at his car, and he's got that cane, and he's pointing that cane at the church, and he's talking. And I'm like, we getting ready to have revival again. My question is, are you hungry for the glory, or are you dissatisfied with church? I pray you're hungry for the glory. I pray that you realize that what Jesus starts, Jesus has continued. Jesus, is the, Jesus Christ was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he started this, he wants it to happen. The question is, is are you willing to let it? Or have you got to a place where you go, I just don't have the, me the mental capacities. I just don't have the spiritual desire. I just don't have the fleshly desire. I just, I, no. I'm happy where I'm at. Just let the rapture take place. I'll do it all in heaven. You're sitting on a golden opportunity. God is wanting to display his glory. And he's looking for vessels that'll do it. Worship team, come on up. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to sing something everybody knows.
And the question is, are you willing to say, Lord, I'm a vessel. I'm going to yield. Flow your glory through me. And if you are, in just a moment, I want us to begin to worship. I would like us to worship like you knew the rapture is going to take place five minutes from now. That's how I would like you to worship. That's where the glory comes out. You say, well, that's good for today. That was a good sermon. Let me just go home. That's your choice. But remember, you've been given an opportunity for revelation knowledge of Christ to come to you through the glory of the Lord for you to go to the next level. There's so many people who never get that opportunity. So before we sing, before I even know what the song is, the question simply is, at 12.01 or 12.11, whatever that says back there, cataracts, you got to love them. If you would like the Lord to, to have his glory, the spirit of the Holy Spirit to move through you and you be a vessel of glory, I want you to stand to your feet and say, Amen. I would like God's glory to flow through me. Then here's what I'm going to ask. As we begin to worship, the glory inhabits the house. The praises brings the glory. If you need a special need and you're sincere with that need today, you may have been down here 15 times. And if you've been down here 15 times, I want to ask you, do you come down here all the time for this? Because there's difference in having a crutch that is a problem and having a need God has to answer. And if you need healing, if you have a family issue, if you have a financial issue, maybe you don't even know Christ. And you're like, I haven't been in this before. Then come on down here and just say, I want to receive Christ. But let's worship. Let's don't exit quickly. Let's wait on the Lord and let him renew our strength. Guys, what are we going to sing? Start singing. Lights up. Jesus, you deserve the praise. Is your name. Sing, is everyone. Your name. Come on, let me hear you. Jesus. 